The Burning Bird presents The Phoenix Files, featuring Steve Leinert. But, uh, you know what? I'm shoot or shoot. Alexander Shaggy Shragus. And that Nardy was wild. And then it ends. Nard gets a, the gold. And Harvish Huck Meta. Oh my god. Again. This is what the Phoenix do. You know, they give me hope. They give me hope. Welcome, Phoenix fans, to another episode of The Burning Bird presents The Phoenix Files Game of the Week. I'm Steve Leinert. I'll be doing the color commentary for the Phoenix on AUDL.TV when the season starts. I'm joined by my regular partners in crime, Alexander Shaggy Shragus. Shaggy, how you doing tonight? So great. Went to the doctors. Clean borough health. Doing great. We get healthy shag. And we're joined by someone else who's extremely healthy. It's Harvish Huck Meta. Huck, thanks for coming back, bud. Hey, thanks for having me, Steve. I've loved the house days. It's good. <laughs> Huck is a vegan. He won't eat any meat at all. So you were talking to two of two two of the three healthiest people on the face of the earth. I am not one of those people that eat. I, like, I don't <laughs> like vegetables. I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy. Uh, this week on the Phoenix Files, we're going to be recapping the July 6, 2019 game where the New York Empire came in to AA Garthwaite Stadium to play the Phoenix. The Phoenix started the game with a slim chance at the playoffs, and the game started under the threat of storm clouds. Before we get into it, what was the betting line on this? Because you guys got me into gambling, you know? I put the money on this game, Steve. Oh, that, well, that was that was uh, Shaggy's forte. Shag, what was, what was the line on this? Was it New York minus two and a half? No. It was like New York by five. And um, I mean, if you want the real nitty gritty specifics, I suggest you go listen to Burning Bird 9. That, that'll that have it on there. <laughs> Going back into the archives of the Burning Bird is always, everybody's got time now. They might as well go back and listen to episode nine to see what the betting line was. But I know New York was a, a rather significant favorite, in, despite the fact they were coming in on the road. But once again, the Phoenix come out and draw first blood against what other people would consider a superior opponent. They start off this game with Sean Mott and Billy Sickles are both on D-line. They're almost always on O, right? And then also Eric Nardelli, our defensive stalwart, burning bird guest, he is not at this game. So... There's a lot of offensive Phoenix players that will make uh, pretty extensive stints on the D-line this game. And part of it might be that, that Nard's not here, so we're covering for him. Well, there's other players, too, like Matt Esther's not there either, right? And I don't think um, Bryce Dunn's not there either, and he's their most explosive defender, and he was guarding Ben Yard in previous games. Yeah, that's right. Two of Three of our you know starting defenders are out. And also, as will become... More important, JB, normally the head referee, he wasn't there either. This is the only home game of the Phoenix at Hill Mess in like four years. And it was it, it became a significant factor as the game oh. wore on. Yeah. Oh yeah, it did. On oh. the field from this point only, Sean Mott pulls. We almost never get a Sean Mott pull. Uh Ben Yacht drops it. Yacht has a terrible, terrible first half. He is uh, one of the worst players on the field. But at this point, he just drops it. It's a pretty easy clap catch. It goes right through his hands. And then you, Mott scoopers to Billy for the break. Easy peasy Phoenix break. What more can we ask for? Dude, it was a 33-yard scoober that oh. he threw. Yeah, his lefty scoober. Thank goodness that we have Sean Mott to throw the lefty scoobers. Man, no, no, he sets the tone for the whole game. I mean, how many scoobers do you see in this game? How many scoobers and hammers have you seen so, this game thrown by the Phoenix? There are maybe 40 or 50 scoobers this game for both sides. The only successful ones are either from Sean Mott or to Sean Mott, and that includes an Ethan Fortin scoober that will bounce off of Sean Mott's hands and land in Billy's hands. The only successful ones are to and from Mott. All the other 25 are immediate turnovers. <laughs> yeah, I was shocked at, uh, about Ben Yacht's first half as well. I mean, uh, but as bad as he played in the first half was as good as he played in the second half. He made some big, big plays that helped 
the Empire come back in this game. Yeah, but the sure. Phoenix jump out to that 1-0 lead. The Empire come out and they have a they, a, a clean hold. And uh, and then the uh, the Phoenix answer with a clean hold of their own to take a 2-1 lead. They wouldn't trail again after that until the beginning of the fourth quarter. Yeah. The D-line kicks in, and this is one of the most uncharacteristic New York games. I said, I told Harvish before this podcast I was going to come after him a bit for this, but we, we talked last Phoenix Files about how the New York system, you don't think the New York system's good. This was the New York players on full display ignoring the New York system and getting destroyed for it. You have, like, Ben Yacht trying to throw blades. He doesn't throw blades. Harper Garvey throws blades. The blades aren't connecting. They'll try this, like, weird mid-range huck nonsense that keeps failing. In the first half, they abandon their system, and they try to say, oh, we're superstars. No one can beat us, and it doesn't go well for them. And they have to have Babbitt playing offensive possessions because it gets so tight in this game. And Babbitt, this is the first game he played since his injury against Raleigh earlier in the season, and they did not want to play him, you know, heavy minutes, and they end up playing him heavy minutes, and they end up playing Jack Williams in Goldschlager McSchlagerson. What's his name? I can never remember his name. And I always think he's Kurt Gibson. He's not Kurt Gibson. Grant Lindsley? They have Grant Lindsley and Jack Williams playing 30 points this game because they need to cover it for the fact that some of their other players were literally dropping the disc in big moments. Mott was on fire in that first quarter. He was. He'll end the game with like six assists. He, he couldn't be stopped. Let's try, to, let's try to point out. So you talk about defensive line here. Let's try to point out the... Philadelphia Phoenix defensive line. Like, who are these players that are starting in this game? I mean, I was looking at Austin Lewis, Baum, Matthew Bauman, Paul Owens, Alan Michelle, Mike Campanella. These guys are showing up on defense when we need them to, and they haven't started all season. It's amazing that they're playing this well against New York, especially in the first quarter, you know? And, and it's, a, it's a different rotation of defense every time. It's not like one set line. And a lot of Mott, too, on defense. Model end the game with yeah. 29 points played. And a lot of it was defense in this first half when we're trying to get an early lead. It's because in tight situations, you need a catalyst, and that's Mott. You need someone that, that can do a 30-yard scoober on your side. Uh, speaking of Benyat throwaway led to the, uh, another Phoenix break. Colin Messino caught some garbage on a Ballman throw, and the Phoenix get a break. They go up 3-1, to one, and then boom, here comes the lightning. This is a weird game, and it really the, the lightning definitely plays a factor in it. I mean, it will cut swaths of the game into sections that normally I don't consider ultimate games cut into. You know, it kind of cuts this game into, into thirds. It's more of a hockey game than an ultimate game. The first lightning delay happened with 841 left in the first half, and Ben Yacht, ben Yacht gets a, uh, a layout on an overthrow in the end zone and he, and he here's where it's it seems to be feast or famine with Ben Yacht. He drops the clap catch on the first point. He has the bad throwaway on the third point. He has a sick layout that catches uh catches a goal like you know you know what I mean this this guy's in this first quarter I don't know what's going on with Ben Yacht. Part of it is that uh last season at least Ben Yacht couldn't throw. So a, a lot of his turnover he has that first drop but then he'll just start throwing bad throws and there'll be turnovers. Uh, and you know, it doesn't it get reflected in the stats because New York doesn't keep real stats. But, you know, if he doesn't have to throw, he looks good. Also, this was almost a drop. He misread the disc. It was not an overthrow. He should have had that easily. And it, he like bobbles it in the air. And then he has to make a highlight play. But he only has to make the highlight play because he dropped the initial disc. There's no reason for that. He almost has two drops and two like terrible turnover throws in seven points. So Benyon lays out, makes that catch. It's now three to two Phoenix. Phoenix have a clean hold as uh, Sean Mott hits Billy Sickles for a goal. Mott was on fire in this in this first quarter. Um, he gets he gets the disc to Sickles for a goal. It's four to two. Benyon overthrow leads to another New York turn, and the Phoenix get a break when when Mott hits uh, Adam Burt for a goal. Five to two Phoenix, and they are off and running. Two more New York turnovers lead to another break as Mott caught a, a hand block and he found Himalaya Meta for the score. Meta's second goal of the period, and now the Phoenix are up 6-2. to two. New York was turning the disc over all like almost willy-nilly. 
this point is really interesting. New York runs a, they're a full, like, sub D-line out there. They don't have Babbitt or Marquez. So their D-line's going to be a little sparse anyways. But they're, they're running players like Albert. Uh, CJ gets a touch on this point, I think. Players that aren't normally playing, even for their D-line, get run out on this point because their starters have looked so bad. And that was what I was wondering. So after this point, I think Yad will get beat in the end zone and he comes off and Babbitt is like standing right next to him. And as a coach, what do you say to him there? What would you guys say? Because he is screwing up this game for New York. I'll, I'll say nothing. Not He's all. a smart player. Not, no, no, not at all. First off, you got to go over as the coach and say something. You got to say something because you got to hold you got to you got to hold him accountable like you would anybody else on the team. That's that's the first thing. And then the second and then what what do you say to him? It's it's very simple. You say to him, I'm, you're like, hey, reel it in a little bit. Let's start being 100 percent. And then when you start completing some passes and getting to a groove and getting to the flow of the game, then you can start unleashing your stuff again. But right now you're not in the flow of the game. Let's start thinking 100 percent completions. That's all. You don't want to get into them. You don't want to, like, ride them or anything like that. But you want to give them something to think about, which is, hey, 100% here, pal. You know what I mean? Let's think about start completing some passes here, okay? I mean, like, we're having some mental mistakes. These aren't forced These aren't forced turnovers that the Phoenix are, are making them do. He's making his own mistakes, so you got to just reel them in a little bit. That's all. I mean, no, you don't have to do anything major, but I think you definitely have to say something to him. I'm not. I'm not a coach or anything. I think Steve, you've been a coach, so you. The way you put it is absolutely amazing. I'll, that's a great way to do it. But I feel like in that moment, I'll be like, I'll talk to him after the game, you know, <laughs> because I want to get in his head, you know. <laughs> no, I no, get, in, not... get into his head. No, you I mean, right... still hold him accountable after, but like getting the head, his head right now during we're down six two and. You know, like not even just telling him these things. I, I don't know. I mean, no, you, you put your arm on his, you put your hand on his shoulder, and you tell him, "I'm, hey, we ride or die with you, right?" You know, but like just start thinking 100 percent completions. That's all. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I got your back, brother. Like, you know what I mean? We're we're in this together. No one's down on you by any stretch. But let's start just thinking about. Let's start getting some completions under our belt. That's all. You know what I mean? It's like it's like a boxer when a boxer comes out and he's swinging with these haymakers left and right. You know, at, at some point, if you're the boxer's manager, you got to tell him, "Hey, think about jab. Think about setting up those haymakers with with some jabs. Maybe get in. Maybe a little uppercut here or there. Maybe a body shot." Benyat. I don't think he was necessarily throwing haymakers, but I thought he. I definitely thought he wasn't exactly the most focused individual in that first quarter. None of them were. The Phoenix will get a turn here. Billy gets a great D, and then he gets hand-blocked because he doesn't step out on his throw. And then BJ, the coach for New York, BJ calls a timeout to draw up a play, and the play is like a Harper-Garvey hook down the sideline to nothing. So that is an immediate turnover. And then Hampson will also call a timeout, and I thought that the timeout that Hampson calls is a mistake because it lets BJ sub on all these stars who have been off for most of this point. It lets him put on Babbitt and Lindsley and Williams, and I thought it was a mistake, and the Phoenix end up scoring. So maybe it wasn't a mistake. I don't know what you guys thought there. The timeout calling here from two coaches who are much better at coaching at a pro level than I am in Hampson and BJ, I was very suspicious of the calls. Well, you got to also think that you got to play in the consideration here the weather factor as well because a lot of these guys were trying to steal back breaks and with timeouts at this point, just trying to get the halftime with the way that the the clouds were looming over A.A. Garthway Stadium. I mean, New York finally stopped the bleeding, though, after the Phoenix took a 6-2 lead uh, after a, a clean hold on a Ben Yacht absolute dime shot to the end zone. That wasn't a good job play either. It's a blown defensive assignment. The guy's nowhere to be found. He could have thrown that into nowhere. That was a perfect throw. It. it was a perfect throw, and you wouldn't have thrown it. It was, of course they would have thrown it. There was no one there. Anyone would have thrown it. Ben Simmons would have thrown it. And no, you wouldn't for sure, I was thinking about this. It's an assist. He loves assists. He for sure would have thrown it. Also, the guy's wide open. Like, it's a blown assignment. It's easy to be, it's easy to hit someone in stride if they have all the whole length of the throw to figure out their stride. It was, well, it was an okay throw, but if the defense is there and doesn't let someone run deep without being covered, then I don't think he gets that throw. That was the right decision, but I don't think it was an amazing play by Ben Yacht. 
Benyot makes amazing plays in this game. I, I think we should save our praise for him for when it happens. So the, uh, the, the New York comes out after that and has a short pull, and the Phoenix turn the disc over. And uh, actually, that was um, one of my this is this is when one of my favorite lines came in. And when I when I was like, I, I did a shout out to the burning bird and I was like, Shaggy is slinging hot fire on the burning bird there. I, I, I said that on the broadcast. So this is where I but Fortin Fortin got Ethan Fortin got the most gratuitous layout block I think I've ever seen in AUDL history. <laughs> Uh, I mean, he he laid out, but he could have caught it with his teeth if he wanted to. I mean, like, that's how bad it was. And then Billy Sickles hit Mark Sands, who had a huge sky in the end zone to give the Phoenix a, a commanding 7-3 to three lead in the first, which, by the way, was the longest first quarter in the history of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even watching it, I was so surprised. It took forever. And it yeah. was so many... We scored so much. It was so wet, and we scored so much. And Babbitt, Babbitt pulled down a buzzer beater to end the first quarter to give the Phoenix a 7-4 lead heading into the second quarter. Only Babbitt could have gotten that throw in all of ultimate. I think he's the only person. I mean, or he, Ben Yacht on or Ben Yacht. <laughs> I don't think so. Does it, does it seem like the disc just finds him every time, Babbitt? Even like you'll see later, a bobble just falls into his lap. So the Phoenix come out with a clean hole with another Mott Scuber to Ethan Fortin. That New York had a turnover on their next possession after receiving the pole. Um, but uh, Grant Lindsley scored to make it uh, eight to five. Yeah, because you, Paul, <laughs> Paul Owens, Paul okay. Owens, I don't know what he's doing, but he like. He, I've never seen anything like it. He's like, like standstill throws a blade across his body into the middle, into the turf. To no one. There wasn't even anybody close to it. Oh, you know, it looked, it looked like I was playing disc golf and I was trying to throw a roller for crying out loud. It just went yeah, right into the ground. I mean, I, what was I mean, that? What? <laughs> Somebody that when we interview Paul Owens on a Burning Bird like later on this season, I'm gonna totally have to ask him what was up, what went through your brain as you were unleashing that awesome blade that came out of your hand like 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 it was on fire. Like, isn't it amazing that this guy is it was like the hero for the national club championships for Amp? He's a great player. Oh my god! I mean, but, no, I I know he is. He just peaked at the wrong time. He should have peaked for the Phoenix season, honestly. He was amazing at, at nationals, and it's just he just throwing dimes, catching everything. But man, just imagine! Just I was just thinking about the other day. Just imagine if that if that Paul Owens was on was playing for the Phoenix at that point in time. I mean, just oh my god, we would have another star. Well, he might be he might be a star in the making this season. I'm ready for him to complete a blade. I was just gonna say that. To go <laughs> I was just gonna say that, like you know what I mean? Is he, yes, he now he now owes us all one blade. Okay, but yeah, that was a, a, a Owens <laughs> Owens blade. I mean, that was that was something else. Um, and then the Empire get a break after another New York timeout. Harper Garvey gets a a one pass goal. I said this a lot last year, but Jack Williams is unguardable in the AUDL, and he looked unguardable in this game. He just was. Whenever they needed him to be open, he was open. Also, this is a point where, and we saw it a lot for the Phillies deep offense last year, nobody moves. There's just no movement downfield by the cutters. They're just kind of like trotting back towards the disc. Why aren't, is anyone, like they're all deferring to each other and nothing happens the whole time. And then, and then the Phoenix gets stuck just dumping and swinging the disc with no action downfield. And then Andrew DeSavado gets very upset in the booth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, why do you think they're doing that? I, you know, you know why. I, I, I do think sometimes the handlers are holding on to this too long. And even though people have open cuts and great open looks, they're not being thrown to, and they just can't keep being swung. And and then until they come to a bailout situation where they have to hit someone with a very tight under on the sideline or something, and it's and that's that's kind of reason. So the cutters are like, if I cut now, the timing's not right because you're just gonna swing the disc. And I think I think that's kind of what's going on, but. I do think Himalaya does cut under quite often. It's, it's cutting under <laughs> as initiator pretty often. Even when there's a zone, I feel like he's being a he's always a popper. You know, going to the cup. You know, pulling defenders in, pulling defenders out. So, so 
Part of it is New York will go to like a, a, a saggier defense here. They'll sit in the middle of the field more, try to make the Phoenix work the disc to the outsides, which is something that we love to do, but not necessarily something we're great at once we're there. Uh, but I don't know. I feel like if cutters move, it, it maybe Hemi's moving downfield, but in this in this point, there's just no movement. The cutters are just standing still. They're, well, they're not standing still. They're like jogging in as the handlers dump it backwards. And it's possible that that's because the handlers are not looking downfield when the cutters are trying to initiate their cuts. That that could be it. That's a great answer to the question. Steve, you're a coach. I mean, tell, tell us from your perspective, what do you think? Why do you think that is? I mean, of course, at this point, but I think I've seen that all season. I mean, sometimes I do think the stack is too deep, you know, but. I think it's a combination of things. I think it's a. I think it's guys not knowing when it's their turn to go. I think. Uh, I think there's a lot of guys that do a lot of looking at each other downfield, like okay, you go, or no, or no, no, you go type situation. Um, and then when they do, when people do go, there's two people going at the same time instead of one guy. So somebody's cutting somebody else off or bringing their defender into the lane when it's not. It's like it's not their turn to be there. You know, so when that happens, you get you get multiple people in the lane, you, you know, shutting you, you, it, it makes those throwing windows much tighter. And as a as a handler, you're like, I'm not going to risk turning this disc over. I'm just going to dump swing it. And I'm hope hopefully something opens up on the other side, you know, but by that be the AUDL field being so big. Um, by the time you get it to the other side of the field, all your cutters are either in the, they're not in the, in that same third, you know what I mean? They're not in the, in that lane that, but you know what I mean? So it's, it's taking people time to, to get into that lane and to get the, to, to shake their defender, to get enough space, to make it a safe throw for the handlers. This next point for the, in the, uh, in the empire Phoenix game, New York is pulling to start the Phoenix have a turnover. The Phoenix get the disc back, and the New York defensive player catches the disc out of bounds. He's out of bounds. He's on defense, and he he's the disc is sailing out of bounds, and he steps out of bounds and catches the D while standing like practically on the Phoenix bench. Right now, is he out of bounds? All right. I mean, this is one thing that I, as an announcer, I, I was a little confused on. Shag, I'd like to get a, a ruling from you on this. The rules are the defensive player is allowed to be out of bounds when they make the block. The difference is if the defense touches it at any point, even if they're out of bounds, then they the disc comes in there. Whereas an offensive player has to leap from inbounds to touch the disc to get the disc to be where they touched it. So if you're an offensive player and you run out of bounds and you grab the disc, the disc doesn't come in there. It'll come in upfield wherever the disc went out of bounds. If you're a defensive player, wherever you make the D, wherever you touch the disc is where it comes in. And and that's the rule at, at all levels of ultimate. The defensive player is allowed to run out of bounds. Now, interestingly enough, if the defensive player runs out of bounds and catches the disc and then puts it down, that's a turnover. And Jack uh, yep. Williams, who's in this game, will call that turnover on Mike Arcada in 2013 in a UNCW versus uh, UConn game when Arcada runs out of bounds, catches the disc as a D, and then drops the disc on the ground. And Jack Williams is like, that's a turnover. And then we lost that game. <laughs> <laughs> it, this could be the Mike Arcada files here with the, with the, with the 2013 shout-out back there. Jack. Nice work. Tell a lot of stories around Mike Arcata. Well, the refs are confused too. The refs, <laughs> the refs kind of huddled together. I don't know if they were discussing the word of no, the and or the lightning or to talk about the lightning delay. I they're talking about whether or not to call a lightning delay because there will be okay. a lot of lightning during this game and that we don't call a lightning delay for. And this is not the most egregious one. There's one where like the whole sky lights up and we're just like, oh, that we're gonna let that one go. And when we get there, we'll get there, because I have a lot of words to say about that. We could do a whole podcast about how upset I am at some of the decisions that were made re regarding the Lightning. And, I, uh, I agree. And during I agree. Yeah, yeah. The entire game. The entire game, the Lightning was striking off in the distance and everything else, and people yeah, were just Steve, ignoring it. Right. Steve, you yeah. were calling it out. Steve was they calling it out on the outside. Like, oh, there's Lightning again. Um, remember, this is an official ADO game now. It's past halftime, and... <laughs> they were recognizing it and it's and they were ignoring it and part of the reason is also part of the reason why this broadcast was so infuriating to watch is that the new york sideline is like they have control of the mic so the whole game we're just hearing like the six fans from new york 
cheering, doing New York cheers. And it's infuriating. And they're screaming and heckling players about things that are not rules. They're like, ref, learn the rules. You learn the rules, sir. Shaggy, it was like one or two moms, you know, just yelling the whole time. I swear to God, it was just one or two moms. Yeah. So gun-ho for New York. Mom, fire. Yes. Mom <laughs> of the son of the owner was who it was. Oh, oh God. <laughs> All I remember is just, I just hear this mom's voice just calling out, like, what are fouls and what are not fouls. She goes, clearly a travel. I'm like, oh, my God. But with the, with the weather. <laughs> With the weather there, there's no cover on that side of the field. So they came up and they if you sit in the if you stand on the on the last bench at AA Garthway Stadium, there is an overhang that shields oh. you somewhat from the rain. And that window, like she was right up against that open window there. So the the, the refs get together. I don't know if they're talking about whether it was a D or not on the broadcast because it's on the far side of the field. They're trying to figure out whether or not to call it for lightning. I was I remember. I was right next to that huddle. (laughs) They they decide to go right into the lightning delay right there. New York starts with the disc, turns it over, and now we're still on the same point, mind you. Mop throws a deep shot to his brother, Hemi. Hemi, huge sky, pulls it down. There's a whistle. He's right on the goal line when this happens. Himalaya Yeah, Hemi is in the air with the disc. And then what happens? What happens as he's in the air with the disc? He puts his hand out to make sure he doesn't crush. I think it was Jack Williams who was coming down no. behind him. Oh, no, no, it was, it was someone else. It was a Dreyas brother. Like, yeah, it was a Dross brother who runs yeah. into him. He takes his leg out, legs out. He's like eight feet in the air at this point. And he runs right clean under him. All right, right. And, there, and there's a there's a there's a whistle. And for some reason, Himalaya Meta and he still has the disc. But now has like a 35-yard penalty or something of that. Like it was, all him he did was sky his, his defender and get the disc. What the heck happened there? Oh, my God. This is, this is kind of what we're discussing the refs. I mean, like, what is going on here? I mean, first, I get, maybe the 10-yard penalty, fine. I guess there's contact or whatever. Maybe he traveled when he stood up. I don't know. But then, like, and continuing that, <laughs> continuing those penalty yards, we're just like, what is going on here? Did Hemi, did Hemi call him a name? Did Hemi use a no. bad word? When... No, no, no. It's an unsportsmanlike call on Hemi for skying the bejesus out of that dude, out of one of the Ross brothers. Now, here's the problem. JB's not here at this game. JB, refs, he's the head referee for almost every game. We take him on the road sometimes, like when DC needs a head ref. But for whatever reason, he's not at this game. So the rules, and more importantly, the communication of said rules to the players is a little bit iffy. That's a 15-yard penalty. So Hemi goes back 15 yards. But then there's motion, they're like motioning at him. So he goes back five more yards. He taps a disc in and he throws it. That's a travel because he's not where the ref wants him to be. So then the ref makes him, has him come forward to where he was supposed to be and then backs him up another 10 yards. So it, it ends up being a 25-yard penalty, but the 20, it's a 25-yard penalty of nothing. It's on a travel that was called by a miscommunication that's the ref's fault on uh on Hemi almost that was such a dangerous play and that exact play will happen like six or seven times in this game when like Ben Yacht will jump up and punch the Phoenix player that's trying to chase him punch him in the face and catch the disc and then like oh look at me I caught the disc I'm so great and they're good plays but it's the same play that Hemi will get called on here no no whistle nothing no we don't care doesn't matter then (laughs) this was this was one of the worst calls I've ever seen. I was so mad. In my notes, it says, this is absurd and atrocious. <laughs> the, the Phoenix end up scoring this goal, mind you, as Mott finds Greg Martin with a hammer. Another upside-down throw by Mott. When, 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 when Mott's feeling it, he's throwing it upside-down. The good things are happening for the Phoenix. And the Phoenix take a 9-6 lead. The Phoenix pull to the Empire. The Empire have a clean hold. The Phoenix retaliate with a, with a, with a clean hold of their own after an 80-yard bomb from Ryan Weaver to, uh, to Greg Martin. This thing was the full length of the field plus some into the end zone. I mean, it was an impressive flick. Even though Ryan Weaver didn't exactly have the greatest game, that was one impressive throw. Yeah, uh, we, we expect some big things out of Ryan Weaver in this game. I mean, how many he had 10 assists in the last game? Again, who was that against? Was it against Toronto or Montreal? Toronto. 
Toronto. Yeah, he had a huge. He was like the hero of that game, and he won that game abroad. And then comes home, we're like, oh my god, this guy is ready. He's he's for us. I mean, we we had such high hopes on this game, and Ryan Weaver was one of those reasons why we had those hopes. Well, no, and, and things get happier for the Phoenix as they get a break on a on a, after a, uh, a a turnover by New York leads to a James Pollard huck to Adam Bird who finds Campanella with 5:30 left before half to make it 11-7. And then the Phoenix get another break on an Arcata hammer to make it 12 to 7, Phoenix. And, and all of a sudden, the Phoenix seemingly took a New York's big shot as New York pulled within 8 to 6. And then, and then and, and the Phoenix pulled back away to make it 12 to 7. When Harvish and I interviewed Coach Brian Jones of the New York Empire, <laughs> we brought up this game. He mentioned this point specifically, and he said that he was worried that the Lightning was going to call the game and that this was going to be the score. It was going to be 12 to 7, and that was going to be it. And so from this point on, Jack Williams and Grant Lindsley will play every point in the second and third quarter. And he was like, I couldn't take them off. Like, we needed them on there to perform. But this was crazy. We're, we're up five on a team that we'd lost to by where got blown out at home, the first game of the season, first home game. And, and this is coming off the Toronto home win. Right. So you're like, like, as, as uh, I don't know what you guys were feeling uh, in the booth, I'm sitting there going, man, the Phoenix are going to pull this out right now. Like this, they're in, they're in this game. Oh no, come on, Steve. I mean, remember DC when we played against DC, I think two weeks prior to that, come on DC, we were up against DC by quite a bit during uh, fall before the half. And it was just like, my God, and Penny Doom just comes right. comes to right. us, and at the last moment, right. we can't make it. So I had no hope. I was just like, "Oh, this is what New York does. They, no they get easy." And then, not not twelve to seven. Not twelve to seven. I'm sorry, okay. Harsh. No. I mean, to me, to me, I was like, to me, I was like, I was hearing the uh, the Rocky Bell. You know what I mean? I was like, I was like, here we go, man. Like the the, the Phoenix are gonna they're they're, they're gonna slug it out with the New York Empire here, and it's gonna be awesome. They. The, the the Empire was were able to score three of the next four goals to take half at 13-10. And Harvest, though, like you just said, that third quarter against the DC Breeze a couple weeks prior, how horrible that was, how it was how it sunk the Phoenix. The Phoenix were about to go into a terrible doldrum again in the third quarter. The Phoenix pulled a start. New York turns the disc over two different times. But for some reason, the Phoenix turn it back. One of them coming out of a timeout. The Phoenix call a timeout on the first point of the second half. And Ryan Reaver goes to throw a dump. And it goes 10 yards backwards. And no one catches the disc. It hits the ground. New York gets an easy goal to make it 13-11. Before that, I mean, let's talk about the, the point before half and the point after half. We have no business throwing deep shots in the end zone, where Babbitt and Benyard are just standing there. We, were, we got Huck happy. We are like, oh, we're hitting these Hucks to people. Let's just chuck one up for Benyard and Babbitt in the end zone. Let's see what happens. Those aren't 50-50 shots. We're not going to win those shots. <laughs> we were just throwing those discs away. And that, that's kind of how it started in the third quarter. Just deep, just random deep shots. To, oh, my, just not smart playing. And I, I think that's kind of where – uh, just the experience Austin, level of the starters come in. Austin Lillis had a deep shot that was quite ill-advised into the wind. I mean, it was uh, like you know, what I mean, there was tons of people back there. That was that was one of the turnovers. And then uh, and then Ryan Weaver had his dump turnover that was bad. But you know, those two turnovers in the first point of the of the of the uh, third quarter. They were they equaled the number of turnovers the Phoenix had the entire first quarter. The Phoenix only turned the disc over twice the entire first quarter. They turned it over twice on the first point of the third quarter. Wow. And that was just a sign of things to come for the Phoenix, for sure. That backwards throw is that hurts so much. It did. It was. It was a backbreaker. It was a backbreaker because you come out of timeout, you turn around, you throw a nice flat backhand to no one. <laughs> oh no, 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 no! Backwards turnovers will kill you every time. I'll tell you. What's, what, what's worse, the Paul Owens blade or this one? 
Oh, that no, the Ryan the Ryan Weaver one was bad because it was a timeout. It came after a timeout. I mean, I don't know what the heck was going through the the the, the head of the young man on that one, man. But that was phew. also that it was, was it was it was it was on a O point. Now it's on a D point, and like our our handlers didn't work together all year, you know. Like Weaver was in the beginning of the year, out in the middle, in at the end. Uh, Ethan missed some time at the end, right? He won't go in those last couple of games. Dustin Damiano goes on this big trip to Asia. He misses a bunch of games. Then he comes back blonde. So Steve thinks he's Austin Willis in the broadcast. He can't tell him apart. <laughs> it's hard. Oh, handlers didn't work I, I, I think I might not have been able to tell him apart on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I might not be able to still tell him apart. The Phoenix, they receive the pull. They turn it over. The Empire turn it right back over to the Phoenix. Pollard throws a goal to put the Phoenix up 14-11 and another lightning delay. I mean, should there be a rule? Should 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 there be a rule in the AUDL that uh, like after the third lightning delay, like that's it? Like I mean, there is. That's the rule. This should have been the game. And there is there there are there's a New York player who comes out on the field and just starts screaming obscenities like loud enough that I could hear it on the sidelines. And I went over because I thought that he was about to start punching the ref. And I didn't know what the protocol was for when a player is physically attacking a referee. But I wanted to be there for it because I was like, this is some this would be the first time this has ever happened. He berates him and it, it comes the game will come back. It'll be pitch black. Like, it was infuriating. That player should have been ejected, and the game should have been called, because that's the protocol, is that you call it after three lightning delays. That player should have for sure been ejected. And it colors the rest of the game. Because if you don't eject that player, now New York, and you'll see it, this rest of this game, they, you can't call fouls on them. They're screaming at the referees. No, that, that, it, it, it was really bad. It was, it was, like, egregiously bad what was going on there. New York thought they lost their season. And they were acting, like, really inappropriately, to say the least. Yeah, it was not the whole team either. Like, specifically this example, it was one dude. And it was the worst thing I've ever seen on an ultimate field with, like, a referee involved. It was some of the meanest things I've ever heard someone say. I, I, was, I, was, sh- I was shocked. I was floored at what was going on. Okay, <laughs> okay, so we're not... We're not we're not naming names here, but was it a star from New York? Was it one of their stars? No, I would okay. name names if it was one of their stars. If it was Ben Yacht, <laughs> I would have named names. No, well, Ben, ben Yacht, Yacht would do this kind of thing. <laughs> no, Ben Yacht is he fouls a lot, uh, and I think he gets away with it. But he's he he's not rude. Like if he's called on a foul that he committed, you know, he's called on a foul that he committed, but. Also, it's possible that I think he fouls a lot because he's just so big that his arms are always, you know, on people. They might not be fouls. They look like fouls on camera, but what, what do I know? Well, when he, when, he goes, when he goes deep, when he goes deep, he puts his arms wide, really wide. He's a very tall person. So when he goes deep yeah. and you see him looking, looking for um, uh, possible passes up in the air, he goes wide with his hands to clear space to jump up and get the disc. And he does that pretty, pretty often if you just see him. If there's a disc that's pretty flo- floating high up there, he'll put his arms really wide and, and look up and kind of kind of clear space that he's around. So yeah, but he's, well, shove, he's tall enough, people enough to do that. Yeah, yeah. I guess whatever. No, it wasn't him. It was not. Like it's not important who it was. They should have been thrown out of the game. And like it, the result was that the refs did not make another call against New York the whole game, and it was brutal. And I think if Nard and Bryce Dunn. I think if everybody plays in this game, right, if Bo and Marquez, but also Nard and Matt Esser and Bryce Dunn play, I think we win this game. But I also think if J, J, JD would say we win this game. Hey, if JB... Why, why, why did BJ do anything about this player? Did he even see it? Was BJ aware of what's going on? Uh, my guess is that Brian Jones, who is an extremely clever coach, looked at the situation and decided that it was in his best interest, that the player was not going to get thrown out, and that going forward, it would kind of undermine the ref's position. I don't, I don't think he encouraged it. In fact, I know he didn't encourage it. But I think he looked, and we asked him, Huck, we asked him. We said, you know, what do you do? Your players run hot. What do you do? And he's like, I let him go. Doesn't hurt our team. My, my favorite announcer line, my second favorite announcer line is here. We come back in. Uh, 
Pollard will throw it to Bauman, will score, and I go, the Phoenix score, a break. All my sheets are wet. Because I have a bunch of sheets of things, except for like ad reads, yeah. and they were sopping wet. Yeah, I like that. yeah I, I actually wrote that down on my sheet too. He said, a lightning in the holes, and all my sheets are wet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of that. All right, so the Phoenix now hold a 14-11 lead, but then New York coming out of that lightning delay. The Phoenix are up 14-11 now. All right, we're going to move along. Okay, and the after a clean hold by New York, making it 14-12, New York pulls. There's another Ryan Weaver turnover that leads to a, a timeout for New York. Uh, New York, he puts the O-line in, starts working the disc down the field. They put up a deep shot, and, and Ballman goes up seemingly for a clean D, slaps the disc in the mar- into uh, Jeff Babbitt's hands. Babbitt holds on to the disc and ha- happens to find Matt Lamar with a big catch of his own in the uh, for the goal to make it 14-13 Phoenix. A clear sign that you should catch your D's for all you young listeners out there. Oh boy, that I mean again. How, how much of a heart, how much of a heartbreaker was that? I mean, was it more heartbreaking that Ryan Weaver had another turnover, or was it more heartbreaking that Babbitt got the disc? I mean, that's nah. That, that Ballman had that that D all to himself. All he has to do is catch that thing. He didn't have to. He didn't have to go swatting it like he did, in my opinion. But I bet he'll catch it next time. I do. I think. I think another thing is Bowman's a really good uh, physical matchup for Babbitt. I think that was that was good. They were going at it all game. So, I like that. But next time he'll catch his D, I'm sure. Shag, <laughs> nothing on the bobble catch there. I mean, it was brutal. It's it was my turning point of the game. It hurt. <laughs> I, I don't know. I agree with Huck though. The Weaver turfing a back end on the goal line uh, hurt just as much. At a certain point, because I know that the Phoenix are losing this game. Um, I knew the entire time, even when it was happening, I knew. So, you know, when you go up big, if you know you're going to lose the game, stuff like this has to happen. So it hurt, but, man, that Weaver turf back in on the goal line. I, if we score that, it doesn't happen. Also, uh, I count that as a D. Babbitt, had give, he, Babbitt gave up on the play. And then, like Huck said, the disc just found his hands. I don't know how it happened. It's Babbitt, man. He's just magnetic to discs for some reason. He always does. He always gets a disc. Always at <laughs> the right time, right place. He is just – he's always there. Think, things go from bad to worse for the Phoenix, especially – maybe not for the – well, for the Phoenix, but especially for the referees in the next couple points here. I mean, it, it just – things get all kinds of wacky. The Phoenix are, are holding a scant 14-13 lead – with New York pulling, Ryan Weaver turns the disc over again, and New York gets the disc back. They put up a big shot to Jack Williams. Jack Williams comes down with the grab. There's a whistle. Somehow Grant Lindsley ends up with the disc on the goal line. Steve, I know I know what this whistle's for. Uh, ben Yacht does a huge back swing and just slams her brother right in the temple. And now his whole head's busted open and bleeding profusely <laughs> so so he has to go back that's why they stub him out he, there's like a there's a bunch of blocks and refs don't know what to do they're like oh god we gotta stop the play get him on the sideline get him the help he needs you know so that that's kind of what happened there but the the cameras are short it kind of swings over to the other end of the field but he's still on the ground on on the other side just blood pouring down down his face oh i had no idea yeah, i did that yeah. even 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 re-watching it i didn't have an idea you should notice that he doesn't actually play that many more points in the game. I think, to me, in this in this game, I I know for the fact that Phoenix talked talk a big game about Harper Garvey and guarding him, and like they put Austin Lewis on him. I know previous games when they could tell on him. I know they put Mud on with Harper Garvey sometimes, but Harper Garvey always somehow gets a disc. And I think in this case, when the coach put my brother on Harper Garvey, he was kind of shut down. I mean, if I looked at this very carefully, whenever he's guarding Harper Garvey, Harper Garvey's not this. I mean, he's watching it. And so that, at that point, he was transitioning to defense, but then he got injured, and so they took him out of the game. So I don't know who picked up the disc, but I know, I know for a fact that's why they stopped the game. At that, they had the whistle blown at that point. 
it's confusing because Jack Williams commits the same foul on Billy to get this catch that Hemi had committed the second quarter. That we that when Hemi skied a drost and then fell down on him. It's the same play that Jack Williams makes here. It is almost identical in in every way, including the fact apparently that Hemi was on the ground. Uh, so it looks like a foul. <laughs> and then they make the injury call to sub Hemi off. But at that point, the refs can't figure out where the disc was. So they just give it back to Grant Winsley. But if Hemi committed a foul in the first, in that, on, on his catch, then Jack Williams committed a foul here. Also, is Ben Yacht backhanding your brother a foul? I've never known the rule on this. I've been hit in the face uh, a lot of times. Backhand. It's not. I watched this in Nationals, too. I think Amp was going, I mean, yeah, Amp was going against a, uh, a DC team or something. And uh, well, uh, there was a big backhand swing and hit hit a player right in the head. The guy calls a foul, and, he, and the ref comes up to him. He's like, what do you call him? He's like, well, he hit me in the head with a, with a disc when he was faking. Isn't that a foul? And he's like, like no. That's not, that's not a foul. That's actually on you. That's contact. So you got to have disc space. The uh, the Phoenix temporarily stopped the bleeding after a uh, after trading turnovers with the Empire. Mike Mike Arcata throws a cross field blade to make it 15-14 Phoenix, but the Empire have a clean hold to make it 15-15 to end the third quarter. Once again, the referees came into play. Well, also, there's tons of lightning. There's all you can see on the screen is lightning at this point, and there's no call. So, yeah, I don't know. But uh, you hear you hear Steve saying it profusely like there's lightning. They're not, I guess, there's I see lightning again. And just remember, it's an official game because it's already it's past halftime. And I hear this constantly throughout the whole broadcast in the second half because, the game, not, because the game lasted three and a half hours plus. You know what I mean? At this point, I'm going, somebody end this thing. I mean, like, look at the, the storm is not going away. Like, this is dangerous. People are sitting on metal bleachers over there for crying out loud. Like, come on. In my notes, at this exact point, I have written down, who the F is wrapping this atrocity? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's brutal. Is this you know? a play where Ballman gets just, like, decked? On a buzzer beater, and there's no call. Yeah, yep, <laughs> that's the one. This got so ugly. Well, New York comes out of the uh, comes out of the start the fourth quarter, and after they pull the disc, they get a break after another Phoenix turnover, leads to a New York score to make it 16-15, and the the Empire break again to make it 17-15. And just like that, the Empire go from being down 12-7 to holding a 17-15 lead. That third quarter, the Phoenix scored one goal, and it ended up haunting them for sure. Mott had a, a clean hold when uh, he hit Zach Sands for a score to make it 17, to pull the Phoenix within 17-16. And then with the Empire going, going, uh, I, I believe they were going downwind at this point, um, Ben Yacht makes a layout grab in the back of the end zone. The disc is sitting on the ground by itself away from Ben Yacht, and somehow, somehow he's awarded the goal by the referees. Shag, please explain to me how this was possible. All right, so first of all, it's possible because a quarter ago, when the, when the New York players are screaming obscenities at the ref, the ref's just like, shoot, I don't know what to do in this position. I guess I'll just end end my, my job tonight. So a quarter ago, the refs had just kind of, they were done. So the reason that now this happens is because now when Yacht spends seven minutes complaining about it, the referee, who's on a time crunch, who has who has been like bullied by by like a jerk, so, so by bullied by jerks all night, he's been bullied by jerks. The referee's just like, whatever, you can have it. I can't, I can't do this. It's not a goal. In nationals, in club nationals this year, Sean Mott will catch a disc. He'll stop rotation. He'll hit the ground. The ground will jar the disc loose, and he'll say, I dropped it, and he'll walk away. You need to maintain possession of the disc through contact with the ground until the referee makes the signal for a score in a ref or observed um, ultimate game. Otherwise, it is a turnover. When Ben Yacht tries to clap catch it, and he hits the ground, and the disc comes out, and it's lying on the ground, that is a turnover. That's a turnover. 
And it doesn't matter how long Ben Yacht spends complaining about the fact <laughs> that he turned the disc over. It's still a turnover. Now, I think B.A. is on him here. B.A. does a good job defending him. B.A. is like, whatever. I'm not going to argue about it. Yacht is like appealing to B.A. for some reason. I don't know why he's doing that. He starts, he starts berating the ref. I don't know why he's doing that either. That's clearly a turnover, and it needs to be called as such. Now, the referees, the referees caught, found themselves in the crosshairs for a lot of this game, and uh, it was a shame J.B. Harrington wasn't there to, to provide the, the law and order he normally provides when out on the fields here in Philadelphia. At this point, I was the most annoyed at that mom yelling in the stands, saying that the catch. Oh, oh yeah. my God! And learn the rules. Oh, I'm a hard fan. I'm a diehard fan too. But like, come on, that was ridiculous. That was just so blatant. You know, just like, like that's not a score. I've never seen a disc lay on the ground where somebody and somebody get up and say, "I caught that for a goal," and have have other people go, "Yeah, yeah, you did." <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean i've never i've never seen that before man like even when i'm throwing with my son in the park right like my son's seven i'll throw the disc to him he, he says he drops a disc if, if it bounces once he'll look at me and i'll be like nope nope that was down brother that was down buddy. <laughs> so that phantom goal made the score 18 16 new york which is big because new york only wins by two and all these different things that happened were kind of unfair. Like, I, I, I guess I'm sounding a little sour grapeish, but uh, I, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this game, and the Phoenix, this was a winnable game for the Phoenix. Oh, yeah. If you want to point to a single referee decision that robs the Phoenix from this game, it's, we haven't even gotten to it yet. You're right. I mean, in the moment when I was watching the game in the stands, while it was raining and just kind of windy and cold, uh, I didn't notice all these little things where it's just like, wait, should it happen in goal? Or I, I don't see these small things where, like, when I rewatch the whole game, I'm like, holy crap, what's going on here? Steve sees lightning. I see this being drop. I see people. Oh, it's extremely frustrating. It's just, it's, it's hard talking about it right now. I mean, just, oh, well, my God. I don't want to. Last week, we watched probably one of the coolest games I've ever watched uh, and definitely one of the most impressive in terms of like everything working well and players just making incredible plays for for one team or the other this week we watched one of the ugliest games i've ever seen and one of the least impressive in terms of playing just be players just being wildly reckless and getting away with it or being wildly reckless and having it turn out terribly and also the referees were a little reckless too i think this is an ugly game last week was a pretty game this ugly all right, well, after that, the uh, Empire pull, and there's a clean hold where uh, Billy Sickles hits Mark Sands for his third yeah. goal of the game. It was Billy's third assist of the game thus far. And uh, the funny part about that is something happened to Billy Sickles' shorts. I think he ripped his shorts or something, and his, he, it, was, it was all the way up to his hip. He was showing a lot of leg at the end of that uh, at the end of that point. So you ladies that are all Billy Sickle fans out there, you want to see a little <laughs> Billy Sickle's leg? Check out the end of the Empire game. But I think Billy Sickle played his best at the end of the game too, actually. So maybe there's a correlation. You're saying that Billy Sickle's success in the game is directly proportional to how much leg skin he's showing. I, right maybe again? he's more. Maybe I don't, I don't maybe see he has how that's less. Resistance and moving around. Who knows? We got I mean, All I know is that he was playing really well at that 16, 18 mark. We got to get that dude some speedos. I think. Yeah. For the good of Philadelphia Ultimate. <laughs> See Billy playing in some speedos. That'll sell some tickets. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that'll be the shorts this year. So, Alex man, Storm told us he didn't like the red pants. I wonder if you like uh, just black speedos with a little Phoenix <laughs> logo on the on the right cheeks. <laughs> so that made it eighteen seventeen. The Phoenix are hanging in there. Um, they pull to New York. There's a turnover, and there's another back breaking turnover by by one of the blonde haired Phoenix guys. Austin, either Austin Lewis. Austin Lewis. And he had a he had a terrible turnover. It was a backbreaker, and it led to a tipped catch goal by New York to make it nineteen seventeen. New York is hanging on by a thread here. I think this was one of the points where New York were in the lead, so we're going to dump it for twelve minutes. I think this is one of the points where that kicked in. 
It's this one, and then there's one at the end where they just they spend four minutes dumping it. It's, it's excruciating. It's good. It's good ultimate, uh, but it, it hurts to watch. Well, that's where the uh, the Phoenix come out. They they respond with a clean hold to make it nineteen eighteen. But then Ben Yacht skies two Phoenix defenders in the end zone to make it twenty to eighteen New York, with time becoming a factor for the Phoenix. The Phoenix respond with a clean hold when when uh, Ryan Weaver hits Billy Sickles for a goal to make it twenty to nineteen. Um, New York responds with a clean hold themselves to make it 21-19. And then 20... Well, before the... that, Steve, Steve, before that, are we going to talk about the stall count? <laughs> we're just pointing out different spots in this game where it's just like, what is going on? The stall count was so high when Lindsay had the disc. He wasn't getting rid of it. And then well, he that's what Shaggy said. Shaggy like... said they weren't calling anything against New York. I mean, it, I mean, you, we know that, but we gotta have proof. We gotta show. We gotta show places like, hey, at this part right here. I mean, the stall count was so high, and these, there was still no call. I, it's hard to call stalls. I don't know. Maybe they lost count. Maybe they were counting lightning strikes and they miscounting stalls. That's all I can think of. Yeah, the referees the entire game were, I mean, they were discombobulated from the get go, and it was seemingly that that way the entire time. So, and that that continued. That continued to the very end of the game, unfortunately for the Phoenix, as the Phoenix come in and they they break the Empire to pull within 21 to 20 with 122 left in the game. Ethan Fortin, of all people, scores a goal. All of a sudden, it's 21-20. The Phoenix are within one. And then all weirdness breaks out once again at AA Garth Waite Stadium. It starts with, you talked about a questionable timeout earlier in the game by Coach Hampson. I bet you he wishes he had this timeout back. He Coach Hampson calls timeout in between points before the Phoenix pull to make it 21, while it's 21-20, instead of waiting to see what happens during that point. If the Phoenix get a turnover, he could use that timeout to put his O-line in, and instead he chooses to call the timeout now. He put in the universe line, basically. I don't think he was a switch line. Anyway, but you're right. That timeout would have been useful during the point. If they had a turnover, they could have a quick timeout for a quick rest. You ride with your D-line guys there. My guess is there's something that we don't see on camera that is happening that makes That's him call true. this timeout. Because Hemi, this is the the first point Hemi will play since he gets knocked out by um, by uh, Ben Yacht. So yeah, it's possible point. that they... Second point. Second point. Right. He plays. Billy will come back on here after getting a short trip. He, my guess is that there's something that we don't see, like they have to fix the bandage on Hemi's forehead, or Billy was still changing shorts in the locker room, where Hampson needs to call that timeout so that he can put out the line that he wants. Because right. you're right, it, it is a weird timeout call, especially given the considerations of what transpires. So the Phoenix pull, pull the disc. Sure enough, they they get a turnover. They have a chance to tie. They get a turnover because uh, Harper Garvey abandons all reason and hucks it to Matt Stevens, who is definitely not one of my top 10 choices of New York players to hug the disc to. Uh, Matched <laughs> up against BA, who is one of my top 10 choices of Phoenix players to be deep when the disc is hucked. It, it was a crazy decision. And it comes off the back of like a three-minute a three long point where Jack Williams and um, Grant Lindsley just dump it back and forth to each other forever and never make a throw that isn't 100%. And then this is the play, like a stall two huck to Matt Stevens matched up against B.A.? What a weird choice. He got the defense, and now the Phoenix had a chance, but they had no timeouts left. And then on a swing pass, Himalaya Meta coming underneath, and Matt Stevens makes contact with him. On the sideline, there's no... Whistle, Shaggy, foul or no foul? Uh, if you hear the announcer at the game, the, the announcer goes, looks like there's a lot of contact and the whistle is silent. You can hear me on the broadcast saying that. Of course it was a foul. He blew him up. He looked like a quarterback laying a hit on a slot receiver. Harvish, Harvish, foul or no foul? You know what? Drew, when I was watching him live, I didn't. I was all the way on the other side of the stance. I didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't. I just thought he missed the disc. I thought my brother missed the disc. I'm like, oh god. 
He's of course, and he missed this. And you know what? Hampson thought he missed this too. I remember watching on the sideline, seeing Hampson was like, "Oh my God, I knew I should not put him in. I knew it." Like he was like so upset. He's like because he thought the head injury kind of affected him, and maybe I thought the same thing too. But again, watching this again, I kind of I kind of went through in a slow motion. I kind of kept pressing the space button. I'm like, "Oh my God, this guy was wrapped on his back. His elbow was above his shoulder, pushing him down." And that's why my, my brother came out. He's like, dude, I don't know. I, I missed it. But like, I, I looked up and I, and I just, this was there and it was gone for a second. I don't know what happened to him. And you can see right now, the guy, he, he goes above his shoulder, pushes him down with his elbow. My brother splits his arms open wide. Like, what the hell just happened? You see someone's draped over his back and he thought he missed it. And, you know, he uh, really thought he left the machine down that day. You know, it was a good call I gave him. I was like, hey, man. I was rewatching this footage, and it looks like you're really fouled. I, I was looking at it, and you're actually pretty fouled <laughs> on this play. Like, it wasn't your fault. I mean, wrestler and call it. I remember he took it really hard when he missed that. He's like, oh, my God, I messed that. Like, we were, we had a turn. We could have tied the game up and gone overtime or something. Good news that he has mental clarity. But bad news that, like, why didn't the refs call that? I mean, there was someone on that line, too. There was someone there who saw the play, too. The ref was there. So. They weren't gonna. They weren't going to call anything. At that point, Shaggy's right. You know what I mean? I didn't. I didn't even think about it that way. But after that referee got berated, they didn't call anything against New York. He was Shaggy was right on top of that. Yeah, he gets blown up, and you. I called it on in the stadium. I said, "Looks to be a lot of contact on him," but the whistles are silent. He gets yeah. demolished. It's so ugly on the broadcast. It is crazy how that was not called. And then New York spends a minute doing nothing, and then they throw a last-second goal, and that's the game. Yep, they win 22-20, to 20, and New York holds on to their undefeated season. I, You know what? In going back and re-watching this game, I didn't realize how close the Phoenix were to knocking off the Empire and how nervous the Empire were that the Phoenix were going to be the team to knock them off. If JB's there, that gets called, and the Phoenix score and the game ends in a tie because we're not going to overtime because the lights are about to shut off at the stadium and there have been six lightning delays. That's got to that's gotta be an AUDL record for longest game from start to finish. I mean, it went it went well over three and a half hours. Yeah, the, uh, the Empire remained undefeated and went on to win the AUDL title. The Phoenix playoff hopes that day were dashed and the, uh, the final uh, home game at AA Garth Waite Stadium ended in a 22 to 20 loss to the New York empire. Before we go, I want to, I want to say something about the future, the future of the team. I'm so, I, I had a multiple choice question. Why were the Phoenix so close in this game? I mean, so my first thing is, is it because New York is lazy and this is just how they play and they just depend on their great players to come back, come through in the end. Second, second choice is, is it weather conditions? Well, weather conditions, the, the reason why we were we were close in this game and we're winning because just sloppy conditions that we can uh, and that's kind of the great equalizing factor when we play ultimate frisbee. Or the third reason is because we had players, practice players who showed up to every practice being inserted onto the defensive line and these players who kind of showed up to play probably every Phoenix event and Phoenix practice there was and committing to the team and now you finally get these people starting in a game. I think it's choice D. I think that New York star players almost throw this game away and they have to rely on their system to get back into it. And I also think that a lot of Philly's success were how hard we rode Mott and Billy. Mott plays 29 points in this game. Uh, that's a lot. He plays a lot of D points and we really ride him in that first half. And maybe that's why we, we you know, we kind of, we, we don't call his name as much in the second half. Uh, but I'm going to say that New York's big time players were a little bit, too cocky going into it and that Mott played out of his mind in the first half. I don't know how much some of these prep, I think the Canada trips are really when the practice squad players will, will shine. I mean, it's just, it's just campy in this game. Right. And Paul Owens too, but Paul Owens, I, all I remember. No, from him it's, it's a, it's a bunch of, no, it's a bunch of non-starters that didn't start the whole season. I mean, I Colin Messino, Alan Michelle, Matthew Baum, Matthew Baum didn't start. I mean, he wasn't starting. Austin Lillis, he was the starting handler. Nick, but Nick Mattel was the starting handler for defense. Bauman was always there. You're right. Lillis, Lillis is there a lot, too. But Messino and Messino was like coming. Messino was coming to the games. He was rostered. 
Uh, Bauman was rostered for these games. I mean, ro- rostered and playing times are different. I mean, this is this is during the end of the season. This is when we see the most. They play the most. I mean, these players they haven't they didn't play. They weren't. I mean, they were rostered, but they weren't getting playing time. Yeah, but I I think that the players who shine in this game were the Phoenix Stars, and that the Phoenix Packers squad will have their time in the sun, and it'll just be later in the season. Somehow. But you you will have your role players, you know. Your role players still have to be consistent, right, to make any team shine. So even though Billy Stickles and Mop did amazing work, which I do think they did, I think they were, they really showed up when they needed to. I mean, we still had these other plug-and-play. I mean, it's hard to plug-and-play people, you know. It's, this New York game, we just saw multiple points from people who didn't start from the start of the season. I... Uh... I don't know, man. I, I I think that I think the New York players took the Phoenix for granted, and uh, I think that the Atlantic Division better take notice and not better uh, better look at what the New York Empire had to, had to go through to as the Phoenix earned their respect from them and the, uh, the the Raleigh Flyers and the Tampa Bay Cannons of the world. You better take notice because the Phoenix are 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 going to be like coming out to earn some more respect from the rest of the AUDL in, in 2020 when the season does start. You're so high on Tampa Bay. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? I, uh, I, I, I like to do my research. I like to read it. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I, I think Tampa Bay is going to have a good team this year. Raleigh's yeah. like the fourth best team, I think, in AUDL history. And you said them and Tampa in the same breath. I don't know. That's all. <laughs> I I have a question for you guys. It's a little unrelated, but I was taking this around with my friend Phil the other day. What do you think about an AUDL two-point line? So, like, if you have the disc in your own end zone, maybe like a 25-yard circle on e- around each corner of your own end zone, and you throw it all the way to the attacking end zone, that that would be worth two points. Yeah, we need one of those. But I think injuries would happen because of that. I mean, people are going to try to throw hostile passes into the end Let's zone see. constantly. So, but it, it would make Weaver the most valuable player on our team, which would be interesting. I uh, I don't know if either of you guys have heard of this uh, league before, but have you ever heard of the NUA? Yeah, the, <laughs> the National Ultimate Association. Can't say I have. They had a two-point line um, in in their games, and it was a North versus South. Um, instead of an east versus west uh, dynamic, and long story short, they had a few uh, tryout games, and they were exciting to have that two point line, like eighty yard hammers and flicks and backhands to people that are streaking deep, and their people are going up for fifty fifty balls and skying for for trying to get those two points because you're trying to make a comeback. It does make it a little more exciting. It adds it adds another element of excitement to the game. So we have a, a no for the sake of the safety of the players. Fair. Huh? And uh, yes, because Steve doesn't care about the players and he wants to go back to the good old NUA days. Yes, I do. Excellent. <laughs> good. I, I'm glad we resettled. That's the uh, Ed Wagon Sellers of the world down in North Carolina started the N- NUA and... Uh, uh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta give them a little bit of uh, a little bit of credit for adding the two point line um, in the into a professional game. All right, Phoenix fans, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Burning Bird presents the Phoenix Files game of the week. Join us next week when we go back and relive the July fourteenth Philadelphia Phoenix at Montreal victory for Alexander Shaggy Shragus for Harvish Huck Meta. I'm Steve Leinert. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Burning Bird. Excellent.